Welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast with Justin and Trisha Davis. Honest conversations about life, love, and leadership. Welcome to season four. Well, welcome back to the Let's Get Real podcast with Justin and Trisha Davis. We are back and better than ever as we kick off February 2024, better known as Love Month. <laughs> and so some of you love this month and some of you love to hate this month. Uh, so no matter where you are on the spectrum, you're welcome here. Uh, but we are going to be talking about relationships because tomorrow actually kicks off something that I didn't even know existed until a few weeks ago. Which is funny because we've been married for 28 years, but it's okay. National Marriage Week starts tomorrow, runs through February 14th, uh, culminates with Valentine's Day. You know, baby, married to you every day is <laughs> National Marriage Week. So I don't really need a designation on the calendar, but we are going to take advantage of it. Oh, boy. Because to celebrate National Marriage Week, uh, we are going to offer a promo for a resource that we just redid and are re-releasing uh, called Mentor Us. We want to help you be intentional in your marriage relationship this February. And Mentor Us is a 52-week marriage devotion, which sounds very overwhelming, but just think of it as once a week, you're going to get a devotion from Trisha and myself. It's going to come to your inbox in your email. It's going to have discussion questions. It's going to have a devotional, and it's going to have scriptures to read together. Why? Because the average American couple spends 19 minutes a week in discussion or conversation outside the business of marriage. If you've been married for over 10 years, that number drops to 11 minutes a week. And so we feel like we can help you double the amount of time that you're talking and engaging and connecting with your spouse with this marriage devotional. So here's the great thing. It's a dollar per week. It's $52 for the whole year. And if you buy it between now and February 16th, we're going to throw in a free marriage assessment. It's going to be a series of questions that you can answer to really gauge the health uh, of your marriage relationship. And so we're excited about that. For more information, you can go to refineus.org slash mentor us, M-E-N-T-O-R-U-S. And uh, we'd love to come alongside you over the next year and make every week National Marriage Week. Oh my. Well, I know a lot of our listeners are from all over the place relationally. We have, it's not a marriage podcast per se. It's a podcast about life, love, and leadership. And so maybe you're like, oh my gosh, they're going to be talking about marriage. We are. But if you are single, single again, maybe you are a high school student and you found your way to our podcast. We are so glad that you are here. But I do want to let everyone know, as you are listening, that we are going to be talking about intimacy. And so if you have kiddos or people around you, um, you know, you're in the office, maybe listening to a podcast for everyone to hear put those headphones in, put the headphones in, or maybe press pause until a later time to be able to talk. But we are going to have this conversation just around the topic of sexual intimacy. And what is so interesting is over the past, I would say decade, wouldn't you say, mm -hmm. as Justin and I have traveled all around the country, we we find ourselves in some of the craziest places. We have spoken at the teeny tiniest, did not even know that part of the country existed churches. We've spoken at mega churches, inner city churches, just really suburban. It doesn't matter. And we've asked this one question and we have received the exact same answer, no matter what type of church or what type of, you know, group of people we're speaking to. And the question is this, how many of you had a clear 
biblical understanding of sexual intimacy before you got married. And by and large, not, not by and large, it doesn't matter where we are. We very rarely see even one hand raised, no matter what size the audience is. We, we were speaking to a group of 90 people this last weekend, 35 couples, and long-standing Christ followers in the audience, and not one person raised their hand. And so there's this perception that we should have healthy sexuality and healthy sexual intimacy in our marriage relationships, but many of us have broken sexual experiences growing up, and then we don't have a clear view of what sexual intimacy should be, and then the message that we've gotten from the church or organized religion is, just don't do it, or that's bad, Mm -hmm. or it's sinful. And so many of us enter into a marriage relationship confused, frustrated, uh, maybe disillusioned, maybe disappointed with the ideal of sexual intimacy in the context of a marriage relationship. And so we're not going to solve all that in the next 30 minutes, um, but we do want to start a conversation about it and just Mm -hmm. say, man, if you have struggled in this area or you're struggling in this area, if you have baggage in this area or maybe some wounds in this area, you're not alone. You're not crazy. Um, And God has something really, really special in in mind for this area of your life, which I know sounds really weird, um, but we've... uh, experienced it in our own life, and we've helped other couples um, kind of change their paradigm of how they view uh, sexual intimacy. Well, speaking of conversations, uh, Justin and I were speaking in Tampa, Florida this past weekend, as he mentioned, and we do a like five-session conference. It's called Refine Us Weekend. You may have heard us talk about it. We're doing one in Nashville, Tennessee, Um, I believe in May sometime. I don't know. You're probably better at the dates than I am. May 3rd through the 5th. Yeah. And so one of the sessions that we talk about through our Refinest Weekend experience is sexual intimacy. And so this past weekend, we were sharing that talk. And as Justin said, we opened by asking this question, how many of you had a clear biblical understanding of sex before you got married and nobody raises their hand? So we teach the whole entire session And then I realized like towards the end that one of the pastors of the church, it was actually a conglomeration of a bunch of churches that met together. Um, But one of the pastors had their ninth grade daughter there taking pictures. And I was like, Oh my goodness. I said to him, I said, maybe we should have gotten a parental consent form signed by you before we just did that talk in front of your daughter. So his daughter came over to our table and I was kind of like, hi, I'm How Trisha. awkward do we feel <laughs> yeah. right now? Let me introduce myself after having that conversation. And she was incredible. She was like, no, don't apologize. I'm so grateful to hear that, that talk, that conversation as a ninth grader, because I... I haven't heard it framed in that way. And as I was looking at Barna Group, they do a great job of like polling on different topics. And it was interesting to see the different polls of really just generationally, how different we look at uh, sexual intimacy and even faith-based. And just looking at faith alone, there was these statements of like, do you agree or disagree? And the and there's like three that stuck out to me. The first one is sex is a way to express intimacy between two people who love each other. And really 
practicing Christians, no faith, other faith were around 60%, 54% would say that was true. But at the same time, that the question of, you know, what really is the purpose of sex is the main question. Only 1% said they didn't know as practicing Christians. And I found that really odd because that is the exact opposite of what we've experienced of really the framework of really understanding what sex is. Well, I think if you look at any polls and you say the top two issues that couples face in their marriage, communication is always number one and sex or money is bounced back and forth between number two. And so I think... What happens so often is we have our own preconceived ideas of sex. Maybe we have our own experiences with sex. And then we bring that into a marriage relationship and we think, man, I just, we love God and we love each other. Uh, We're going to figure this out. And I think we talk about a lot of the important things in the church, but there's a shame, there's an embarrassment, there's a um, apprehension that comes with physical intimacy that permeates our culture and permeates church culture that so many of us have silently suffered with sexual intimacy issues Mm. or questions or problems. And we don't either know who to go to, or we are afraid that if we did talk about it, um, we would be shamed or we'd be looked down upon. And so one of the things that I think we're really passionate about is just recognizing that we all struggle with pretty much the same things in this area. And, and for the first 10 years of our marriage, we had so many issues when it came to sexual intimacy, but I don't think that either one of us would have thought, oh yeah, that's a really a problem. But how we viewed sex and how we viewed intimacy and, and some of the, I guess, the baggage that we brought into our marriage contributed to how we engaged in it with one another and how we thought the other person thought about it and then how it really reflected in our own personal self-esteem and and then ultimately contributed to the implosion of our relationship. Yeah. And I would say as uh, Gen Xers, uh, who, Nate Bogatze, is he the one who says like it was a whole other type of uh, believers or Jesus loving people in the nineties. I don't know. He says it's so much better, but basically like the culture was like popping. It was like, I don't know. It was very strong with like wearing your t-shirts that had statements on them. And, um, it was just kind of the height of the purity movement. There was purity rings and there's nothing wrong with that, but the flip side of it is we were just told to wait. We were never told what to wait for. Right. And, you know, for Justin and I, when we met in Bible college, we had relationships that led to physical intimacy uh, before we met each other. And so we just thought, well, now that, you know, we're dating and it's serious and we got engaged, we'll just, you know, refrain from each other and we'll just love Jesus. And somehow it will just fix all the broken of our past And it legit was like, we really thought that that was what was going to happen. And then we got married and things kind of came off the rails. And I think we talk a lot about the negative side of sexual intimacy 
but what is like the positive side? And for the first 10 years in our marriage, some of the negative side was, in my mind, it was a weapon. It was, uh, my understanding was that it was this physical need from you as my husband that was somewhat selfish. It was never convenient. Um, and so I used it as a weapon because I knew it meant so much to Justin. It was kind of like, well, well, we kind of joke, you know, looking back on it, it was kind of like, well, yeah, three small boys, you know, by the age of 28, I had three kids and I was like, okay, well, if the kids had a good day and, you know, I don't know, the sun was aligned with Jupiter, then maybe like intimacy would happen. But it really, in my mind, the first 10 years of our marriage, it was just kind of this leftover thing that, you know, I don't know, maybe it'll happen, but I didn't really care if it did or didn't just, and it really was rooted in this idea, not even out of sin or, or I don't know, however you want to frame that. It was just like, well, I was just told not to for so long. I was never really told what it was for. So why, why do I have to even champion this aspect of our marriage? And what was so weird for me in that, in that time was, you know, Trish and I, we couldn't keep our hands off of each other when we were dating. You know, like we would have to like refrain from going too far. And I was a youth pastor uh, on the weekends. And so, you know, we were doing our best to stay pure and, and, you know, not engage in that. And so we get married and it's almost like a light switch flipped off. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know, we couldn't keep our hands off of each other. And now I had to like try to convince her to put her (laughs) hands on me. But, you know, I think it really plays into what, intimacy really is. And the word intimacy means to be fully known. And when, when we're dating someone, um, we spend a lot of time getting to know them, right? Like when you are interested in someone, you talk to them, you prioritize them. Like as you grow in a relationship, there's this infatuation stage and there's this attraction stage and, and, you know, there's this desire that you have to, to know them in a deeper way. Well, that is designed by God to allow you to experience intimacy. And so when we get to know someone emotionally, it creates a greater desire for physical intimacy. When you get to know someone and grow with them spiritually, the natural overflow of that is a desire to be with them physically. And I think what happens for a lot of us when we get married is that pursuit to not just to spend time together, but to know our spouse, to understand their perspective and to to know their heart it just kind of gets lost in the mundane aspects of life and child you know raising kids and and work and obligations and deadlines and and bills and we just think well that physical attraction and that physical intimacy is going to maintain its level even though the level of our emotional and spiritual engagement has rapidly decreased. And I think that's a really unfair expectation, you know, to place on a marriage relationship because, you know, anybody can have sex. I mean, dating apps prove that. But sexual intimacy, physical intimacy, being known fully physically, it takes work. It takes intention. It it takes time. It, It takes two people willing to prioritize the emotional and the spiritual aspect of their relational relationship so that they can understand and know one another 
in a physical way. Which is such a beautiful picture of what intimacy is supposed to be. You know, I think about us having that understanding when we first got married, maybe it could have changed the dynamic of just even us being open and honest with each other. Because I think not only is the lack of understanding what sex is supposed to be to be fully known and fully loved. It, it's, it just reminds me of that passage in Genesis in chapter two, verse 25. It just is this beautiful picture that says, although Adam and his wife were both naked, they felt no shame. It was literally a picture of being fully known and fully loved. But I think if that is the understanding of, of sexual intimacy, What's difficult in it is then there's all the other parts of life to be able to connect. Like you're not going to stoke the romance talking, what, 19 minutes a week, uh, like trying to be intentional with each other. And I think that that becomes a barrier. I think a barrier that does not get uh, a lot of credence, maybe conversation around the topic is for many women, we struggle to feel like we'll ever be enough in the digital age of not just social media or over-sexualized women, but just the reality of like how we physically think of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so there's a vulnerability piece there that has nothing to do with even physical intimacy yet. It's a like, a desire of us acknowledging that we feel good about ourselves and we feel desirable. And when we don't feel that about ourselves, it's like, it doesn't even matter what the purpose of sex is. We've already just determined that we're not enough. Mm -hmm. And it's made the aspect of really understanding, you know, when you say intimacy is an overflow, like physical intimacy is an overflow of emotional and spiritual connection. I'm going to be honest with you. I think if the average person's listening, they're like, not that you're average listener, you're amazing. But they're like, I don't even really know what that means. That feels very Christianese. Yeah, but I think, you know, I think just take, take your statement about not feeling enough. Well, if you, if you play that out and I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit more um, aware of this aspect, especially for females, because we're raising a daughter for the first time and she's 14 and I'm terrified. (laughs) Um, But if you, if you back off out of the marriage relationship and you, you would say by and large, I mean, everybody struggles with feeling enough, but a lot of women painting in broad strokes feel like they're, they can't compete. They have to measure up and they're comparing themselves to other, other females other women. Well, there's, there's a, a desire for that feeling of enough. Well, how do you express that through being desired? Right? So Mm -hmm. it's, it, that's a lot of the hookup culture is women feeling like they're trying to be desired. And I think on the flip side of that, you have guys who feel insecure, Mm -hmm. guys who feel like they are not enough. And so there is this aspect of the hookup culture for them is attaining that, that, um, experience that, that, you know, having that girl want them. And so I think a lot of the physical 
the, the, a lot of the sex and the, the hookup culture that we experience in our world today are really two groups of people expressing this desire to be loved and this fear that they're, that they're maybe not good enough to be known, mm-hmm. right? Like they, they want to be known, but they're, they're fearful of being loved. And I think that applies also, unfortunately, sometimes in the marriage relationship, right? Where you have a couple that get married and life happens and kids happen and, you know, women don't feel like they're enough because their body has changed and guys don't feel like they're enough because they're trying to provide and they're trying to be a good, a good dad. And they're trying, you know, they never feel like they can do enough or be enough or, or, you know, are, are good enough for their, their wife. And so sex gets kind of placed in the middle of all this and it becomes like this combustible topic because Mm -hmm. physical intimacy reveals a lot about us Mm -hmm. and it can reveal the deficiencies in our relationship. Yeah. And it, I think it's the last part of that, you know, framework of emotional, spiritual, physical connection, the physical connection. What's difficult about it is it can go one of two ways. One, it can be that passionate, attractive, physical. And, you know, I say, this all the time when we when we speak to uh, on this topic is that when you understand it from a perspective of being fully known and fully loved, sex is like fine wine. It just gets better over time. And I know that sounds like I just don't even know how to wrap my mind and heart around that, but it's true. It's like it, it's a trust and it's an expression that goes on goes beyond just pleasure which that is part of it, but it goes, um, it, it's like all encompassing. And so as beautiful as that sounds, when you don't feel like you're connecting emotionally or figuring out what does that even mean to connect spiritually, it feels like you're put, you have to put so much weight on the other two to actually be able to f- physically connect. And I think it as true as it is for, us to be able to be fully known and fully loved in the emotional, spiritual aspect. I think physical intimacy is playful. Yeah. It's, it can be whimsical and sometimes it just is not. Sometimes it is an offering that may not be, you know, mutually desired, but is mutually offered. Yeah. And I think, you know, as guys, you know, just be, just speaking for myself, when there is uh, this belief that I'm not enough or I don't stack up or, or whatever in our marriage relationship because we're not engaging in physical intimacy and the frequency when, which I would desire, then I think, you know, part of my dysfunction in the early parts of our marriage was keeping track. Oh, it's been three days. It's been five days. It's been three weeks. It's been 26 days. It's, you know, and, and so there was this guilt trip aspect. There was this scorekeeping aspect to mm-hmm. it. Right. And anytime you're keeping score in a marriage relationship, there's underlying issues there that are not about whatever you're keeping score about. Right. So if you're keeping score in sexual intimacy, the issue is not sexual intimacy. There are underlying issues that are driving your desire to keep track of your spouse's behavior or missteps. So I think that was that was part of my, you know, there was a guilt tripping aspect to it to where. I perceived as like, this is something I desire. 
you should desire it as much as me. There's something wrong with you for not desiring as much as me. And so I would, I would lay on the guilt trip and, and then it would just, it wasn't ever really what it was supposed to be because it started from a place of guilt and not a place of, of, uh, mutuality. Mm-hmm. And then I think the other aspect of that is manipulation. I think for guys, um, we can coerce, we can, uh, you know, talk our wives into it. We can, you know, give the massage with the <laughs> desire to, for it to move on. And some of that stuff is just natural, right? I mean, we're, we're physical beings, but I think if you're always investing in your wife because you want something in return, it's not really an investment. It's kind of a manipulation, right? If you're, if you're showing her attention or giving her compliments or, or taking her out to dinner or, or whatever it is so that you can get something in return, then that isn't a place of mutuality either. And I don't say that in a judgmental way. I'm, I'm sharing with you mistakes that, that I've made in, in our relationship that have disproportionately um, put the focus on me in the relationship and my needs, my wants, and not made it about we. And I think if you want to have a healthy conversation, leave your clothes on (laughs) and don't try to allow this to lead to something else, but just ask the other person, like, is, are there things that I do that make you feel manipulated when it comes to sexual intimacy? Is there, is there things that are a part of our relationship where you feel like, you know, you said you used as a weapon, mm-hmm. right? Or used as punishment. We had it, we called it shutdown mode, <laughs> right? Like Trisha would put me on shutdown mode. And it was like this joke that we had. Yeah, for sure. But if I think just having those conversations, right? Of like, is there a part of our sex life that could get better if we spent more time together? If we, you know, made uh, more intentional decisions to put the kids to bed earlier or not go to bed with our phones on social media. Like, um, I, I was talking to, uh, a guy, oh, it's probably been a couple of weeks ago at a conference that we were doing. And we were talking, I said to him, I said, uh, how often do you and your wife go to bed at the same time? He's like, Oh, never. I'm like, well, dude, you're just by proximity, your chance of sexual intimacy is pretty low, right? Like if you're not going to bed at all together, yeah. if you're not in the same place at the same time, there's there's zero chance of sexual mm-hmm. intimacy if, if you're on the couch and she's in the bed. Mm-hmm. But if you're just going to bed at the same time might increase the frequency of sexual intimacy by 20%. You know yeah. what I mean? Like just by yeah. being together. Well, and we can go all uh, straight up uh, fiction book with this area of intimacy like it has to be just this you know super crazy intentional whimsical in the moment but we have found that usually the intentional outside of the bedroom is what leads to intentionality in the bedroom the key word in all of this is intentionality and the reason I bring up like the fish, fiction book romance story is we always think it has to be this big thing to lead to one moment. But I want to encourage you, um, even if you're in a dating relationship, if you are um, engaged to be married, to, you can start asking these questions now. And if you are married, you know, asking the questions of, 
what can I do that makes you feel pursued? Hmm. Just in general, not even sexually, but like, what do you, what means or speaks to you that you feel pursued specifically by me? So this isn't about their love language or about their Enneagram number or about the kind of food they like. This is a very specific question. So for my relationship with Justin, I feel very pursued when he holds space for me without any distractions. And that doesn't mean like look into my eyes, but just like really feeling like I'm the only one in the room. It makes me feel pursued. And intimacy, what is so beautiful about sexual intimacy is it really is that moment where we have a connection where we feel like the only thing that is on our minds is each other. Like it's a beautiful expression. But if that is the only place that your spouse is receiving that, it just, it doesn't connect. And so just asking the simple question, how do you feel pursued? And your spouse may say something totally wackadoo. Like when I get, when you give me flowers or when you um, do the dishes, I don't, everybody's got their, you know, quirks of what makes them feel seen and known. That's the, the, what makes you feel seen, known and loved and rather than reading, which, you know, obviously I'm an advocate for reading books to better your marriage, but rather than like looking at a formula to try to make work for your marriage, you're, you're the expert, be the expert of your spouse, be the one that loves them so ridiculously off the wall in ways that almost feels like you have a secret society of how you just, you know, her corks, you know, his um, tendencies that rather it being a barrier to intimacy, it becomes a, a powerful way to pursue. That's so good. I think, you know, for some of you listening, maybe you're thinking, man, that all sounds great, Trish, but there's just some deep seated trauma that I have in this area. And I can mm. just, if that, if that's you, I just want you to know that we, we get it right. Um, I was sexually abused when I was a kid and it, it distorted how I viewed sex, how I viewed intimacy. Um, I struggled with pornography for a number of years in our marriage that distorted how I viewed sexual intimacy. And so if, if those are issues for you or, or maybe, you know, you were, you know, not because of you, your choices, but because of a choice that someone made against you. Um, this isn't a five happy hops to a great sex life talk. This is a conversation where my hope and prayer would be that as we're talking about this, you feel empowered to know that healing's possible. You feel empowered to know that no matter how present or absent sexual intimacy may be in your marriage, you are a few choices away from finding healing, right? Like that healing journey, it's not a destination. It's, it's you taking a step toward God. It's you taking a step toward identifying what has been broken, what has been shattered, what has been wounded in you. And then saying, you know what, I am going to choose something different. And it, it isn't always easy, but one of the things that we found personally and as a couple is that it is possible and that God longs to meet you in those spaces. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes I think we make as Christians is we leave God out of this area of our life because it feels awkward 
or we're embarrassed or like, what does God care about my sex life? But God created it mm-hmm. as a gift, not, not as a, not as an obligation, uh, not as a weapon, um, not as something to be distorted or manipulated for our own personal gain, but to allow us to flourish and to experience intimacy, being fully known and experiencing being fully loved all at the same time. So, you know, as we, you know, end this conversation, I do want to challenge you to just take some time and wrestle with some of these questions of, you know, what do you believe about sex? Like what, what has been the messaging that you have been told your whole life? And you may surprise yourself at some of the language or descriptions that come to mind, but spend some time in that. Like, what do I think it's for? Um, I would also encourage you to think about what it means to be connected to someone emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Does that elicit like a place of welcome and excitement or does it feel too vulnerable or too overwhelming? You need to know your starting place to be able to move forward on any journey. And what's most important is for you to know that God loves you so much. And no matter if you have a past that, you know, sexual brokenness isn't a part of it, but you're still like, it just still is, I'm not connecting with my spouse. You're not alone. If you feel like you've just been so dysfunctional in this area or like Justin are struggling with addiction and not just men, I mean, speak to a lot of women who struggle with porn, a lot of women who struggle with infidelity and in searching just to be known and loved that, you know, starts with an innocent conversation that ends up in a really dark place. But I just want to encourage you to be open and honest with yourself so Mm, that you can be open and honest with your spouse. And if you come to a place where you're like, I don't even know what to do with this information, I can't encourage you enough to share with someone safe uh, find a counselor. I know counseling so expensive, but it's it's always so worth it. Justin and I did not get here overnight. It has been an 18-year journey of figuring it out. Um, and that has started, it started our journey uh, by being open and honest, uh, being real about how we feel about ourselves in this topic that allowed us to grow together, uh, maybe not always at the same pace of understanding, but I will say 18 years in, it's it's the healthy, healthiest side and most beautiful side of our marriage that I'm just so grateful that we figured it out. And we want that for you and your relationship with your spouse too. So we want to come alongside you, not just have this conversation and just like, okay, good. Good luck to you. Go figure it out. <laughs> there's, there's a couple of ways that we'd love to come alongside you. Mentor Us is a weekly devotional we mentioned at the beginning of the show um, that really we we do a whole month on sexual intimacy uh and so it really unpacks some of the biblical truth some of the marital truth as well with questions yeah. like the curated questions so you don't have to awkwardly look at each other like well what'd you think of that yeah and you could do them with your clothes on or with your clothes off it's optional <laughs> clothing oh is gosh. optional um but that's that's one resource you can go to refinance.org slash mentor us Another really cool resource that we're really excited about for 2024 is what we call the Refinus Weekend Experience. And it's a weekend in Nashville, May 3rd through the 5th. Uh, it's 
all-inclusive. Uh, it's going to be at the Virgin Hotel, which is uh, just an ex- incredible uh, hotel. It's a boutique hotel downtown Nashville, right on Music Row. Um, and we're going to spend the weekend really unpacking a lot of this biblical truth, a lot of these issues, and really being honest with ourselves, with God, and with our spouses so that we can experience transformation in these areas. And so we'd love to have you be a part of that. You can go to refineus.org slash weekend for more information. Guys, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Let's Get Real podcast. And we're going to be releasing episodes each week this month to celebrate not only National Marriage Week, which maybe you didn't know that existed, but also the month of February and Relationship Month. So look for our next episode next Tuesday. Have a great day.